You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Okay, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. And as you're turning there, um, whether you're here or at your home, um, let me pray as we uh, dedicate this time to God. Father, we come into your presence, Lord, and um, Lord, we, I would imagine that most people are frustrated during these times as we're uh, locked up, Lord, and I just pray, God, that um, you would bring relief uh, to us. I pray that in the meantime that we would trust in you. We're thankful for technology that we can meet, uh, even if it is via video at this time. And I pray that we would be encouraged by your word as we listen to it. And I pray that we would not just merely listen to it, but that we would also uh, put it into practice, that we would be asking, what is it that God is asking me to do? So uh, we just commit this time to you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, what we've been talking about as we've been looking through the book of First Timothy is how one is to conduct themselves in the church of God. Uh, for the past several weeks, what we've done is we've talked about the roles, the specific roles that God has given, uh, established in creation and in his church. We spent three weeks talking about the role that women have in the church. And even though we spent three weeks, I wasn't able to say everything that I wanted to. So before we go on to chapter three, I wanted to say just a few words regarding uh, the closing verses of chapter two, particularly 1 Timothy chapter two, verse 15, which says this, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now that word saved, uh, I don't want you to be confused, it does not mean that a woman will receive forgiveness of sins and access to God simply because she bears children. That would go against the rest of the Bible's teaching on salvation, namely that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. I believe that what Paul is saying here is that the woman's deception is what plunged us into the mess that we are in. And now women have the unique ability to pull us out of the mess that we're in. How in the world do they do that? Well, I think there's two main reasons. The first is by raising up godly children. There is no question that a woman has a greater influence on the children in the household than the husband does. Traditionally, what men would do is that they would go out into the fields and labor there all day, or they would go out in the factories and be gone all day. And traditionally, the women would be at home with the children, uh, instructing them, teaching them, uh, having them help around the home. Um, and because of the woman's demeanor and because of her availability, she would exert a greater influence on the children. This is why I've talked with several women over the years and there's this devastating effect that happens particularly with male children um, as they start to get older and start to gravitate more towards the father. And there's almost like a heart in the, a dagger in the heart of a woman as she's thinking all this foundational work, all this time and love that I've poured into him and now he wants to be with his father more than he wants to be with me. It has to be a painful 
experience, but she ha- has exerted that influence on him. She's spent so much time with him, and a woman has that unique uh, responsibility, that unique ability that God has given her. Another thing is I was talking to uh, someone in the church this past week, and they brought up a very good point, point. and they said this, when a young man is looking for a wife, in addition to other questions, one of the questions that he should be asking of himself regarding this woman is, uh, would I trust this woman with my children? Would I trust this woman to raise up my kids? And I thought that was a very, very good question. A woman has been given a beautiful and wonderful responsibility, a responsibility by God that should be celebrated. A second way that I believe that women will be saved or preserved through the bearing of children is, is historically speaking, through Eve would eventually come a woman by the name of Mary. And Mary would bear, would bring into the world through birth, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but do you realize that without Mary, a woman, there would be no Jesus? Okay, now, of course, the second person of the Trinity has always existed. His existence is not contingent upon uh, a, a mere human being. But to be deemed truly human, Jesus had to be born through a human being. He had to be born through a woman. And so a woman gave birth to the Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. And everyone alive in this church, in this city, in this world is alive because they were born through a woman. And without women, none of us would be here. So that's all that I, I want to say about women uh, today. They have a very special and unique role in society and in the church. This moves us into 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, and the role of a, of a man, or specifically the role of male leaders in the church known as overseers or pastors or elders. Now, some of you, as if you've looked over this passage and you've read it and you see it's the qualifications for an elder, you may be thinking, you know what, I don't need to listen uh, to these next couple of sermons because they don't apply to me, right? They don't apply to me either because I am a woman and I will never be able to be an elder in the church or because I'm a man and I have no desire to ever be an elder in the church. But let me give you two reasons, at least two reasons, why I believe that this passage is important for everyone to listen to and, and, and to take heed. The first reason is that I believe that it is the responsibility of every local congregation to choose its own leaders. That is your responsibility. When we put forth a man for the office of elder, you, as the congregation, have the weighty responsibility of either electing or not electing him. Well, how do you know who should be chosen and who should be rejected? Well, it's easy. You measure them up against these qualifications that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If he doesn't measure up, then he is not qualified and therefore he should not be an elder. 
Now, what happens, sadly, in many churches is that in an effort to not hurt anyone's feelings, even if members of the congregation have reservations about a particular man, they may think, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Well, uh, well, I guess I'm okay with it. And so they vote yes. And what I want to caution you against is doing that. If you have a check in your heart, you should make that known. We must all take this very seriously as we are electing elders in this church. And thankfully, God has given us guidelines. Let me stop here just quickly and say this. Since no one, I mean no one, can reach perfection this side of heaven, there has to be grace involved in this process. No one, not even the most godly of leaders, can ever meet all of these qualifications perfectly. This passage is not saying, because this man blew up at his children last week, therefore he is disqualified from being an elder in the church. It, it, nor is this passage saying, because he, he drank a little bit with his wife, a little bit too much with his wife last Friday night and became tipsy, therefore he's no longer qualified to be an elder in the church. Or because as he was uh, doing some online shopping and he saw an image of a, of a woman in a swimsuit and his eyes lingered there for a little bit, that he's no longer qualified to be an elder in the church. I believe that what Paul is talking about here is a pattern of sin that disqualifies someone from being an elder. Now there are some sins that will immediately disqualify a man from being an elder in the church, but I believe by and large that Paul is talking about um, a pattern of sin. And one of the biggest issues that I believe that this passage is dealing with, in addition to personal holiness, is the reputation of the church and the reproach that sinful behaviors, continued sinful behaviors, can bring on the name of Jesus. When it comes out that a pastor has been unfaithful to his wife, not only has he violated the marriage covenant, he has also dishonored the name of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that next week. And so one reason that everyone should listen to these sermons is because you get to choose your leaders. And then once elected, you have the responsibility to hold those leaders accountable. Yes, you must be submissive to them. Yes, according to the writer of Hebrews, you must obey them. But you also have the ability and the responsibility to call out sin in their lives. And we'll see this when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 5 in a few weeks, how exactly that is done. <clears throat> a second reason uh, that I believe that everyone should listen to this uh, sermon, these sermons, is because these qualifications that are listed here apply to everyone in some way or another. What I mean by that is that there is no way in the world that God is saying an elder must be above reproach, but everyone else can live any way that they want. It doesn't matter at all. There's no way that God is saying an elder must be sexually faithful to his wife, but the rest of the guys in the church, it doesn't matter what you do. You're, you don't have to meet this qualification. There's no way that, that, that God is saying an elder 
must not be a lover of money, but everyone else can do whatever they need to to get more money. You know, it doesn't matter who they step on, um, and they can love money. It doesn't matter. Even the qualifications of, of teaching um, applies to everyone to a certain degree. Not everyone um, has been given the role of a preacher or a teacher um, in the church of God, so they cannot do that formal teaching, but everyone should be able to teach. There's a time when you're going to have to teach someone. Your neighbor is asking you a question uh, about the truths of the, uh, of the gospel, and you're going to have to teach them. Your children, you're going to have to teach them at some point. And even uh, the, the qualification for managing one's own households, right? What happens is that husbands and wives undertake this as a joint responsibility. Now it is ultimately the man who's been given that authority and will be held accountable by God one day, but the wife joins him in that uh, pursuit of managing the household. And I was thinking about this too, is even the children of this church, the little boys and little girls, most likely most of them will grow up and marry. And so they will one day uh, be called to manage their own households or uh, join someone in that pursuit. So the reason that I believe that elders or overseers are pointed out here is because they are in a position of leadership and therefore greater influence in the church. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Um, one of my heroes of the faith, a guy that I've learned a lot from in his teachings and his passion for the gospel is, is John Piper. So uh, let's just say that a man in his church, and I think his church is like 10,000 uh, people, a man in his church was found out, who claimed to be a Christian, was found out to be uh, unfaithful to his wife. He committed adultery. Now, that man's, the damage that that man will do to the church, uh, people finding out, will be minimal compared to the damage that would be done to the church if John Piper himself was unfaithful to his wife. If John Piper himself had cheated on his wife, you can see the headlines right now. Prominent pastor of large church plays the hypocrite right? And it would be known almost immediately or within a few days about his infidelity. And thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people would be affected by that. People would be saying, wait a second, I, uh, man, I, I, I loved this guy. This guy preached with such passion. And now he's done this. How, how often has he done this? It, it, was he doing this the whole time? And you could see the influence that that would have now, thankfully, uh, Piper has remained faithful, um, but you get the point, right? His influence would be a greater influence than someone else's. A leader has a greater responsibility and greater influence. Okay, so I know that that was a very long uh, introduction, so let me now read the text, if you're still in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and begin to explain it. Now, we will only get to verse 1 but we will read the whole passage. Here's what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. <clears throat> if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for, the church, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All I have to say to this is, wow, wow, wow. These verses are so convicting to me because all of these qualifications are required of me. And as was already noted, no one can perfectly fulfill them. The 17th century Puritan Cotton Mathers said this, quote, the office of the Christian ministry rightly understood is the most honorable and important that any man in the whole world can ever sustain. And it will be one of the wonders and employments of eternity to consider the reasons why the wisdom and goodness of God assigned this office to imperfect and guilty man. When any pastor or elder reads these qualifications or teaches them, there should be a great degree of humility and trembling on his part. And there should also be a great deal of grace and discernment on the part of the congregation. There should be trembling on the part of the elder, lest he be disqualified at some point. There should be discernment on the part of the congregation to know what exactly disqualifies and what does not disqualify. Just because a man commits a sin doesn't mean he's automatically disqualified from the office. All leaders in Jesus' church will sin. Therefore, the congregation should respond with grace where appropriate, and all elders must take heed lest they fall. The biggest issue with these qualifications seems to be personal holiness that directly affects the reputation of the church. While this is quite a list, we're not going to get into it today. We're only going to focus in, as I said before, on verse 1 and see the desire for this office and the great responsibility that accompanies this office. Paul begins in verse 1 by prefacing his upcoming statements with the phrase, this is a trustworthy statement. This, is, this saying is trustworthy. What this means is that this statement um, is a basic truth of great importance and familiarity among believers. It is a trustworthy statement, an obvious or self-evident truth that doesn't need to be proved. It would have been common knowledge for the people of that day. Think about this. By the time that Paul writes this letter, the church had been going strong for about 30 years. Thousands upon thousands of people had come to know Christ. There was a church after church uh, planted in in the various cities. And in those churches, uh, leaders, elders were being appointed. And we know that the standards um, were high uh, for elder uh, because uh, the standards for even appointing deacons in the inception of the church early in Acts chapter 6 were high. We would expect nothing less for the establishment of elders in the church. 
So a couple decades later, as Paul is reminding Timothy of the standards for leaders in the church, he is basically saying, this is self-evident. I don't need to go into this. This, is, this, is, this should be just common knowledge. So what is self-evident, according to Paul? Well, uh, two things, that anyone who desires or aspires to this office of an overseer desires a noble task, and that there are character requirements for anyone who would want to hold this office. And these are self-evident facts. To aspire means to reach after something. It means to long after something, to, uh, to desire it, to try to gain it. If a person desires this office, what Paul is saying is that this is a good desire. Now, that needs to be qualified as well, right? If their desire is for power or prestige or money or something like that, then that is not a good desire. But he's saying if someone's desire is to, is to hold this office because they want to have an influence in the world, they want to teach the word of God, they want to shepherd people, then that is a good desire for this. And I want to say this quickly too, even though Paul says anyone, which is a general term which could include men or women, it is evident from the passage that he is only, that he is excluding women, he is only including men in these qualifications. We see this in, in the following list of qualifications where it says an overseer must then be the husband of one wife. And it also says he must manage his own household well. We talked about uh, in previous sermons about the household codes, that the, that the husband uh, was the, the one who was in charge of the home, uh, the, the wife, the children, and if there were any servants in the home as well. And we know, uh, in addition to that, he says that, the, that the, the elder, that the overseer, must be able to teach. And we saw that this would exclude women based on what we learned in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. They were not permitted to teach or exercise authority in the church. So we see that the appointment of a man to this office um, of overseer begins with a desire for it. But desire alone does not qualify one for this office. His character and his competence is what qualify him. And we'll get into those next week. Um, but we see the seriousness of this office even in verse 1. And it's seen particularly in the title of overseer and in the phrase a noble task. Now just as a quick note um, for those who may be confused, there are several interchangeable titles for overseer. Um, Paul here uses the term overseer in our passage, but we in this church usually use the term elder, as Paul does in other passages, or pastor, um, which has the implication of a shepherd-sheep uh, relationship, which Paul brings out in Acts chapter 20, as he's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. The word overseer used here means to look after or to visit. To look after or to visit. In this context, an overseer of the church looks over the people of the church. He visits the people of the church in an effort to discern where they are spiritually. He is observing their behavior. He is listening to their conversations. He's looking at their demeanor. And he's making assessments on their spiritual condition. 
okay? This person seems to gossip a lot. This person seems to use bad language a lot. This person seems to worry a lot or have a lot of fear. This person seems to be excited about the gospel truths. This, people, this person is evangelizing and he's taking all of this information and he's assessing it and saying, what does this person need to be told right now? How can I continue to shepherd this person? He's looking for ways <coughs> uh, to shepherd them and saying, does this person need encouragement or do they need commendation or do they need discipline and correction? As a member of this church, your spiritual well-being is our business. It's as simple as that, okay? You are not an island to yourself. You cannot hide. Your personal spiritual well-being is the elder's business. When we see the fruit of the Spirit being produced in your life, we rejoice and we want to encourage the production of more fruit in your life. But when we see the deeds of the flesh coming out, we must admonish, we must discipline, and we must correct for the glory of God, for your own spiritual good, and for the good of this church. We have been given that oversight. Think about it in terms of, of like a plant manager. A plant manager uh, will walk into the warehouse or wherever it may be and he is observing the various employees at the various stations. Uh, and he, he's going to, he might go to one and say, wow, you are doing a fantastic job. Keep it up. But he may also go to another and correct either minor or major errors that they're making. Now, he's, he's not doing this to be a jerk or to, to micromanage. He's doing it because he's doing it for the good of the company, right? Because if I allow you to continue in these errors, it is going to cost the company. It's going to cost us in production. It's going to cost us in money. It's going to cost us in reputation as well. And so he has to correct them. That is what his responsibility is. And so the elders of a church have been given the oversight of that church by God himself and will be held accountable. We see this in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. Paul says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then listen to what he says in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here's what I want to say regarding that. If we are sticklers about what is taught in this church. If we're sticklers about what worship looks like in this church. If we're sticklers when it comes to sin in your life and how you treat your spouse, how you're raising your children, how you treat your neighbors, or how you're conducting business at your various places of employment. If we're sticklers, it is because God will one day hold us accountable. Okay? God will one day say something like this. You saw her wandering away. You saw her being led into sexual sin. Why in the world 
did you not run after her and warn her? Why didn't you do that? And God will not accept answers like this. Well, I didn't think it was my place. And, and I really didn't want to make her feel uncomfortable as if, as if I was getting to, into her business. If you were to ever say that, God would say this, but it was your place. And to make someone feel uncomfortable in the effort to save their soul is not only allowable, but is required of you. It is a huge responsibility that elders or overseers or pastors have been given by God, which leads us to the one who fills um, this office. Uh, the one who uh, is appointed to this office undertakes a noble task. The phrase noble task comes from two Greek words, uh, kalos, which means constitutionally good, and ergon, which means to work or to labor. That word ergon is where we get our English word ergonomics from, which is work. And the implication is that this office of elder is constant, hard, laborious work. That's what the implication is. And although an elder needs to guard his time with his family, although an elder needs to make sure that he is taking time for his soul to rest, uh, to, to make sure that he is getting a Sabbath, he is literally on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are times when he will have to discern whether his services can wait till the next morning or even later. But there are also times when he must jump into action immediately. Remember, a, an elder or an overseer is also termed a pastor, which is a shepherd. And you, and you think about a shepherd's relationship to the sheep. A shepherd does not take a break from the sheep. A shepherd does not uh, see a wolf approaching, look at his watch and say, oop, it's past five o'clock, I'm off the clock now, it will have to wait till morning. If he does that, the consequences will be devastating. No, he jumps in to action. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 and 13, Paul urges the people of God with these words. He says this, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In this passage, what we have is we have that word, that last word, work, is the same word that is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but we also have the word labor in verse 12. And the word labor means to be worn out. It means to weary oneself with toil to the point of exhaustion. That's what it's talking about. The, the, the leaders, the, the leaders are to work and to have the mentality. This is the mentality that they're to have, is that this is hard work. It's continuous work. It's laborious work, and I should be working to the point of exhaustion. Well, what are elders or overseers or pastors to labor at? Well, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, they are to labor at ruling and preaching. According to James 5.14, they are to labor at prayer for the sick. According to 1 Peter 5.1-2, they are to care for the church and set an example for others to follow. They're to be diligent in doing that. 
In Acts chapter 15, we see that they are to set policy in the church. And 1 Timothy 4.14 says that they have the responsibility of ordaining and appointing other leaders that will join them and one day follow them. These are the things that an elder or an overseer must labor at. And I would say that at the top of that list is teaching and preaching the word of God. As a number one responsibility of an elder. Jesus left other works so that he could teach and preach the word of God. The apostles established the office of deacon so that they could devote themselves completely to the study and by implication the proclamation of the word and to prayer. Jesus quoting Moses said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus warded off the temptations of the enemy by doing what? By quoting the word of God. You have to know it. You have to know what it means. And the writer of Hebrews said that the word of God is quick and powerful. Peter said that the word nourishes like milk and Paul said that every word is inspired by God and is useful to make all the people of God equipped for every good work there's a lot in this book and it is the main responsibility of the leader to bring it out and one more example Psalm 119 the longest chapter in the Bible 176 verses is all devoted to the exaltation of the Word of God elders especially teaching elders as Paul points out in 1st Timothy chapter 5 should be diligent in the study of the Word of God because it is what the people need the most to that end we come to how this sermon applies to everyone who's listening there's a couple of things that you need to know. The first thing is this. You should be diligent in praying for your elders and those who labor over you. You should be diligent in praying for us. Pray that God would keep us from temptation. Pray that God would keep us from falling into sin and the snare of the devil. Pray that we would lead our families in this church well, um, knowing that one day we will give an account to God Satan's attacks will be stronger against us because we have more influence in the church. Satan will almost always go after the leaders first. Along those same lines, I would urge you, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, um, to let them, that's the elders, do their job with joy and not with groaning. Now we know full well that we are fallen human beings just like everyone else. And we know that we will fail in our leading. And at times we will move too quickly, and other times we will move too slowly. We know full well that we cannot make everyone in this church happy. One decision might bring great joy to someone, while another person might become very angry at that very same decision. 
I can assure you that our desire is to glorify God in all that we do, but we know that we will not always get it right. And so we are urging you to pray for us. We are encouraging you to encourage us. And even if necessary at times, admonish us with love. Finally, if we are to labor, especially at teaching, then it goes without saying that you should listen, right? You should be listening to what we are saying. When sermons are prepared, it's not to fill up 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. It is to instruct you in the Word of God. It is for you to say, what did I just learn about God and about myself? And now what is God asking me to do? And am I willing to do that? Please do not, as James says, do not be a hearer of the Word and not a doer of the Word. Well, I am going to end there, and what we'll do next week is that we will pick up the qualifications in verses 2 through 7. In the meantime, may God protect his church in Galveston, and may we as leaders lead well, and may everyone live for the glory of God and for the good of this city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help me and Tim to tremble at these qualifications, to take them seriously, protect us from the evil one. I pray that the congregation would lift us up daily in prayer. Lord, I pray that we would not stumble. If we do stumble, Lord, I pray that we would confess that and turn away from it immediately. We pray that we would never bring reproach on the name of Jesus, whether we're inside these walls or outside of these walls, Lord. Pray that we would conduct ourselves with integrity um, when the lights are on and when the lights are out. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would guide us. And I pray, God, that your church, particularly Galveston Bible Church, would flourish in this city as we live for your glory and the good of these people. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.